right, welcome everybody to part three of our special mini-series podcast. We're doing an honor of Black History Month. I'm Sergeant Rolls, and we have with us today Chief Monk, our Wing Command Chief, Colonel Coggin, our Wing Commander, here to talk about the Black History Month and put some final thoughts on the observance as we wrap up the month of February. So welcome, guys. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us again. And I also have Airman Snell here with me. She is our new PA, so she's going to be chiming in on some of our topics today as well. Hi. Hello. Nice to be here. (laughs) All right, guys, before we get into the meat and potatoes of everything, I just want to share an accelerated timeline of our observance history um, so we kind of know where everything came from. So every year, the Defense Equal Opportunity Opportunity Management Institute, that's a mouthful, um, they issue a theme for the observance. So this year, the theme was inspiring change. So their goal was to bring about this observance, um, celebrating the contributions of African Americans um, and overcoming racial inequalities and to promote equal advancement within the black community. So a little brief history, um, President Harry Truman in 1948 officially desegregated the armed forces. Um, Prior to 1948, the armed services were segregated for training, operations, living conditions, all kinds of things. And it wasn't until 1964 that the first African-American was permitted to enlist in the Arkansas National Guard. Black History Month initially started out as a week. That week actually coincided with Abraham Lincoln's birthday and Frederick Douglass' birthday. So um, in 1976, President Ford turned the week into the full month that we know of today. So he turned it into that month and to give us additional opportunities to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area uh, throughout our history. We have some African-American accomplishments in the Arkansas National Guard. We have our retired Army Staff Sergeant Lily Moore Carter, she was the first African-American female to be full-time, a full-time employee in the Arkansas Army National Guard. We have retired Colonel uh, Berthel Thomas. He was the first African-American to command a battalion in the Arkansas Army National Guard. We also have Major Magnolia Winkler. She was the first African-American female officer. Chief Warrant Officer Gregory Settles. So he was the first African American to become a first sergeant and the command sergeant major in the Army National Guard. So command sergeant major, for anybody who doesn't know, is the highest enlisted rank in the Army. Lieutenant Colonel Philanthea Givens. So she was the first African American female to make the rank of lieutenant colonel and the first to serve as the inspector general for both the 188th and 189th wings. So she's had some significant accomplishments and she set a lot of standards. Last but not least, we have our very own (laughs) Chief Monk. So she is the very first African-American command chief that we've had in the wing and the first female command chief that we've had in the wing. That is correct. That is correct. So so we are proud of that and we are like we we want to make sure that everybody knows that. So very glad that we have been able to make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. So Okay, so that was just a brief history. Just wanted to tap on that lightly, and I'm sure there's so much more that we could talk about. But let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. So we're here to talk about Black History Month. So um, so the first question is, Black History Month, what does this mean to you guys as individuals? Well, to me, um, I call it the three hours. Uh, remembrance, reflection, and a reminder. Uh, remembering how it, things were. Um, 
and to reflect on how things have come to be. And just a reminder how things can always go back if you're not careful. So that's what black history means to me. Um, it showcases um, a lot of the history. It showcases, well, I grew up in southern Arkansas, El Dorado. So I was shown a lot of racism, a lot of diversity where I grew up. And so black history reflects how far we've come. Because I'm sitting here now as the first uh, black female command chief. So that's a reflection on what's to be in the future. So it's a sense of hope um, for those um, when we celebrate black history. But we have to make sure that we're celebrating it and uh, making sure that we're getting our point across and making sure um, the intent, like Colonel Coggins said on his last podcast, make sure we get the intent for what we, why we're serving, why, why we're celebrating black history. So that's important. We can say that February is Black History Month all day long, but we have to make sure that the intent behind why we're celebrating needs to be um, sent out to those younger young airmen uh, coming above and behind me so then they can reflect back on what it is. I think it's really well put, Chief. The, um, the reflection part uh, really resonates with me as uh, you know, someone who's had the opportunity to live in a, f- a few different uh, ethnic groups, shall we say, whether it was you know, living in you know, suburbia in Massachusetts where it was you know, everyone really looked like me and whether I was living in very southern Arizona and not everyone really looked like me where you know, I was really in a deeply Hispanic community. Um, it's, um, it allows, <clears throat> the month allows us to reflect on, like you said, where we came from. And I really like what you said about remembering um, but to me, I, you know, I know you meant this, but I want to make sure we verbalize it. It's also remembering we still have a lot further to go. Yes, we do. And, and I think that's what I think the month really allows us to focus on is reflect. I love it. You know what I mean? And then also remember that we've got a lot further to go. How do you guys think we can use this observance to teach our new airmen or our newer generation? Well, we, we have to begin about learning to talk about it, to do a lot of communicating uh, we do have the diversity and inclusion uh, working group here at the base. We also have a diversity um, council that we have here with the 189th. And we have to make sure that we're telling a story that needs to be told. Um, quite often, we have those meetings, and you can count the number of people that are in there. So we, I think, as leaders need to um, ensure that uh, members in the wing um, are aware of those meetings that we have and you can, of course, you can't enforce people to do what they don't want to do, but you have to also make sure that we're uh, spreading that word, putting that information out for people to understand, uh, because a lot of people don't un- quite understand why we're, ce- why we're celebrating Black History Month. They just know the history. They don't know why we're celebrating it. So I just think that we need to do a better job communicating and putting the story out there. Okay. So, and on top of that, we want to talk about these difficult conversations. Correct. Sometimes it's necessary to have a difficult conversation. So um, what does that mean, and how can we do that, and how can we make that better? Yeah, my, my charge to the wing is um, you know, to make the difficult conversations commonplace, make it normal, and uh, don't make it seem like it's a conversation we have to have, and we have to close the door, and we have to be in the perfect mood, and everything's got to be said. Like This has to be something that's in if I like to say, it's it's an arrow in our quiver that we often go to. It's not something unique that we go to. Um, you know, for for me, it wasn't easy 
and I don't, I'm not trying to say it is easy to make these conversations commonplace, but uh, I, for me, the big thing that I had to change was when I was growing up, you know, again, in the places that I grew up, what I was always taught by teachers and counselors and all this thing is like, well, we just have to get to a spot where we're ignoring the color of our skin. And that's what I was ingrained as a kid. It's like, we just have to get a spot where we're ignoring the color of our skin. And I think for a lot of us in my generation, at least, that grew up to mean, well, if I'm talking about people's skin color, then I'm doing it wrong because I was always taught to ignore it. So if now we're not ignoring it and now we're you know, trying to talk about it. Well, I think what got lost along the way is, you know, while the intent of what they're trying to teach us when I was a kid was the intent was, was pure, we realized that just not talking about it was not nearly enough to, to, to solve the problem of what the history of slavery in this country brought about and that we had to have those conversations to solve it. We just couldn't ignore it to solve the problem. And so I know for me, I had to change that mindset in my head where I was always taught, well, just ignore the skin color and we're going to be great. I'm like, no, nah, it's not enough. And it, clearly it's not enough. And we have to have these conversations to solve the problems that this country made for itself. So uh, I know that's been a big mindset change in, in my mind. And I'm not sure it's going to help anyone else, but I know that it's helped, that's what's helped me. So as far as difficult conversations go, have you guys had to have a difficult conversation? How did you handle it? And maybe something like that will help somebody who also needs to have this difficult conversation. Well, you have to have the conversation, first of all. You have to um, be open-minded, and you have to listen. Um, because what I feel, maybe Colonel Coggin might not feel the same way. So you have to be respectful for that individual at that moment. Um, sometimes we can overreact on some things, uh, and that's okay. You, 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 uh, that's part of the com- that's part of conversating. But you got to have the conversation. You have to be able to listen. Uh, you have to be able. To, uh, of course, it's hard. Um, like I, I told one individual, and, and that they asked me, they had the hard conversation. Um, she just didn't relate, and that's okay. That that's okay. I would appreciate a person coming to me because they don't relate and kind of make them understand where I'm coming from than to not have it at all and just assume. So I just think we just need to have that conversation, and I have been part of those hard conversations um, back when Chief Rowe was the command chief. Uh, we as a chief group had the conversation about George Floyd. So, uh, of course, that was difficult. We just didn't know how to talk about it. But um, in the same situation, you know, in the same instance, we, we did talk about it. So that was a step in the right direction. So we, we can't shy away from it. Um, you can't walk on it and on be eggshells when you're talking about that um, because this is it's reality. So you, you have to talk, you have to have that conversation. And so when you don't have that conversation, that's kind of where you're going back. And, you, and, and we still have a ways to go, like Colonel Coggins said before, because we're still not having that conversation. Mm-hmm. We so can't just have it for like a day. We got to have it a week, a month, a year. Built into yes. the normalcies of Correct. day-to-day life. Right. Yeah. Some of the difficult conversations I've had have been, you know, with the leaders, especially those that, uh, you know, uh, shall we say, are, are get frustrated with the focus on diversity. Um, and they're like, I just, you know, for example, in a hiring action, I just want to hire the best person for my job, period. I don't want to do anything else. I don't have to think about skin color. I don't have to think about diversity. I just want to hire the best person for my job. And, I don't think there's anything immoral about that. I think we can all relate to that. Like the only thing I want is the best person for my job. Um, 
And so those tough conversations can then be about, well, why isn't diversity good for your job? And I don't I think anyone has a good answer to that question, which tells me there's something more there. If, someone, if you can't answer me why diversity isn't part of why it's good to have someone in that job, um, because um, one of the reasons that um, I love having Chief Monk in the position that she's at is that now people in our community on base, our community off base, can see, wait a minute, I can grow up, I can grow up to be this person. And we're talking about a huge part of our population, our recruiting population. This goes at readiness. This goes at being best at our jobs as a military is to get after our, our entire recruiting base. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do we only want to hire someone for the color of their skin? Of course not. Of course not. But is diversity part of what we want to have in our military? Absolutely, because it's a force multiplier. It gets after readiness, it gets after our recruiting base, it makes us stronger. As I said before, um, and I just don't look at, you know, ethnicity when I want to talk about diversity. I'm talking about diversity of thought too. That is hugely important to me when we're having this conversation about diversity is, uh, even if we look alike, if you come from a different place, you have a different background, you come from a different part of the Air Force, you come from a different service. That is something I truly value um, because I, I don't want to sit in my office and have people reply to me, oh, great idea, boss. I'm like, no, I want people to tell me, hey, boss, have you thought about this? Because right. from my background, this is, you know, this is that. And so to me, diversity, whether it's different backgrounds, different ways of thought, uh, is just so powerful in the force multiplier that, yeah, it should be part of our decision matrix. Of course, it's not the only thing. Of course, I want the best person for the job. Um, but having that, having that hiring board where you have that diversity on the panel, diversity of background, diversity of thought, um, is so important to us as a military to make sure that we're getting after those things I already mentioned. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's important to make sure you have different ideas and personalities that bring something to the table. That's what makes an idea great. Um, you can't get four people together who all have the exact same idea and come up with something amazing because... We all have the same idea. Um, what other ways do you guys think we can use this observance or other events like this to to bring more people to the guard and show them what we're capable of, what we can do for the community and for them? Just by showing, you know, our our ability to recognize it, our ability to celebrate it within our own ranks, uh, I hope would have the effect in our community that wow, this means so much to them. Uh, despite the fact that we have uh, a C-130 training unit going on, despite the fact that we have a cyber mission going on, despite the fact that we're preparing airmen to deploy around the world, they're taking time out to celebrate this. This must be really important to them. Um, and so we, we, and I'm looking at the people at this table here, my public affairs team, we need to make sure that um, that word that this is important to us gets out, not just internally but externally to those outside the fence because um, I want the community to understand that this is important to us. Yeah, we just have to um, be seen. Um, you know, um, I'm always going out and, and um, women and black, when they do see me, uh, there is a sense of pride and, and uh, a sense of feeling good that they see me in this uniform um, and look at my stripes. And, you know, I even had one guy come up to me and say, oh, I know you've been in for a while. you got a lot of stripes. So that makes me proud. And so you, I just have to uh, display me as a black female, um, because not I'm, I'm not only am I promoting race, I'm promoting gender as well. And so um, that goes a long way in the military. 
So growing up in the military, have you seen the Air Force change? Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about that. So, because yes. I've only been in for 19 years, and just yes. in that short time, I have seen a lot of changes too. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Like how how was it? Uh, dealt with and tolerated how did you react to certain things or you know I could ask you a hundred questions before you had a chance to answer me so what was it like well I came in the military in 1982 so you can only imagine um and my first duty assignment was Fairchild Air Force Base in Washington State where there was a lot of people that did not look like me Mm -hmm. so it was difficult my first assignment um I had a lot of good leaders uh, that helped me along the way, but I can tell you that it was not easy. Um, The thing I think that helped me get through it is I was good at my job, and I learned my job. I I did well with my job, and I wanted more. Um, So during that time, it was was difficult. Uh, There was disparity. You you knew it, Um, but... I credit my parents uh, a lot of that um, because I do have biracial uh, family members. And so it was not like I wasn't used to it because I was, but they weren't used to me. And being a black girl from southern Arkansas coming to Washington State, um, it, it was difficult. And so I tried to get out of there. I did everything I could, put in all the remotes. Um, because I just didn't want to be there. But I didn't let that dampen my spirit because I had a good supervisor uh, at the time. He's retired Chief uh, Gary Conklin that always had my back and that always tried to uplift my spirits because I guess he kind of knew that I just didn't felt like I fit in. But um, So that kind of paved the way for me. And, and then when I went to other assignments, things got a little bit better because I moved up in the ranks. Um, the job I had was a uh, traffic management TMO. So there were not a lot of black females, a lot of blacks, period, in TMO. Um, so, you know, it was hard for me to make friends um, um, being a black female because I left uh, Fairchild and then I went uh, overseas to Sicily. So once again, and, and, and it, it was difficult, like I said, but it, it, it didn't damper my spirits. It, it did... Um, it kind of encouraged me to, to be better. Um, but I can rest assured it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't even easy when I got here in the year 2000. So that lets you know that hasn't been very long ago. Um, but um, I credit good supervisors and good leaders that saw in me that I had the potential to do better, uh, that I was uh, a, a good airman, and that I did, I did my job and I did it well. Um, and I think I um, helped motivate a, a lot of uh, airmen that were having issues. It kind of helped me along the way. Uh, I, I credit that to where I am today. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Something I want to highlight there, I mean, I don't want to, in no way am I trying to say there's any excuse for, for racism in the military. But it's amazing how important, like she was remembering her first line supervisor from yes. her first job. And how that supervisor allowed her to get past uh, incredible hurdles that she had to cross. Yeah. So, uh, just wanted for all the people out there who supervise and lead, right? Um, you have to remember, you have to be able to relate to your airman. Correct. That yeah. is that is your job, and it is not you sit in your office and you have to your airman have to find a way to relate to you. That is not how this works. Right. And the fact that she had a supervisor that was able to relate to her and get her to her highest potential 
uh, in a in a time in, in the military was a lot more difficult when it comes to racial divide than today. Uh, I think speaks volumes for the importance of the supervisors out there, regardless of the challenge we're discussing, whether that's race, gender, work performance, stressors, resiliency, et cetera. Um, so uh, just I hope people hear that story, that part of that story that, you know, it's doesn't matter how great we are up Correct. in the corner <laughs> office. And I guarantee you there are days we are not. Uh, but um, uh, it is that it's that supervisors out there that are really making a difference. Yes. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I I mean, I had a supervisor who did, ever, you know, she was she was always there for me. She was very hands on. She always made sure she was asking me how I was doing. I was a single parent when I came in. So. It was it was nice to have somebody there to confide in or, you know, go to if you have if you're having trouble with something or if you just are on the edge of breaking down sometimes. So I know the importance of that, but I agree that I, I hope people listen to that, especially, you know, what in what ways did your supervisor give you the tools like he, he, he never um, made me feel different. Mm-hmm. He always credited me for the work that I did, and that played a big part um, in in my progression. And I, in fact, have done that with the people that I've supervised. I, um, like Colonel Coggins said, I got to know the people. I can even now can uh, look back at some of the the people done in LRS, my home, <laughs> um, that I can tell you about their family, their kids. Uh, we, I've been knowing some of them since they graduated high school. And so we still got that connection, and I think that that's very, very important um, because I honestly feel that I'm somebody, even now as the command chief, can go down there, and they can still have that conversation with me, uh, just like we were talking when I worked down in LRS as a tech sergeant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's nice. It's it's not a hard thing to do either. It's as simple as being like, hey, how are you doing? Where are you from? Do you have kids? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what what do you like to do outside of work? you never know what they're going to tell Correct. you and how you can find a way to relate to that. You know, so, I mean, I personally don't think it's a hard thing. Me and Airman Snell did that the first day. We, well, yes, it was it wasn't quite the first day, but it yeah. was one of the first days. We went to lunch, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about where we grew up, how we grew up, and all different kinds of things, and about Central America and how much we like going there. And oh, yeah. It was it was a great conversation. It so it, it's something I call part of being a proactive leader. Right. And because now, when something comes up in Airman Snell's life, you know, you, you now don't have to get the background behind it before right. you can figure out what tools to bear to to help solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And now you can just go into solving the problem versus having to ask all those questions now to to get around to it. Yep. And during that process, uh, hopefully, we've made Airman Snell feel like she's a valued <laughs> member of the team. Right. Yeah. And that uh, her 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 contributions matter. So, um, yeah, great great discussion. Chief, did you ever see um, General CQ's Brown video? Uh, what am I thinking about? Yes, that was hugely powerful. It was. Yeah. That it, was a good video. It was. Yeah. It was good. And that should be something that you know we could show to airmen because I think they need to see that. I, mm-hmm. I think that I, I know I was proud seeing uh, General Brown. Yeah. Um, I am even proud seeing. Uh, Chief Bass, because she's a female. And, and, and it makes me proud when I see um, leaders um, in different, where they, where they are now. Because, you know, or even look at me. I look at myself sometimes. And uh, I am proud because I try to be the best me for me. And as long as I'm the best me for me, then I can be a better person for someone else. 
And so um, it makes me proud. And so I have to lead by example. And, and I'm proud of that. I, I, you know, I'm proud of where I am. I'm proud of where, how long I've been in the military. I'm proud of uh, where I've come from. And um, I think that says a lot for the black airmen around here. I think that there's something to say for seeing some systemic ra- racial issues yes. and seeing how the Air Force has grown from the Army Air Corps where even even the military was segregated for some reason and you know they were treated so differently to the Air Force in the 60s where, okay, we're not segregated anymore, but we're still treated differently to the 80s where we're just now starting to accept and acknowledge and acclimate to this integration and then to to now where essentially we're still we're still trying to make this a normal part of society and we're still trying to promote African Americans in the black community through Black History Month or um, trying to make sure that we spread that diversity within our leadership you know and it's just interesting to see how like it's been so ingrained throughout history that that there's a struggle there and there's something that's not quite lining up. But at the same time, now it's so much different, so much better to see to see that happening, even though it's not quite there yet, yes. seeing it happen. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we have a lot, we've done a lot of work uh, not with diversity, not only with race, but with gender as well. Um, because I'm pro girl, um, <laughs> but but we do I just, have. A <laughs> just realized I'm surrounded by three of them right now. But. <laughs> yeah, but we, but we do have a long way to go. We we do have a a long way to go. Um, when you look, me looking back, um, when, long after I'm gone, uh, just looking at our force management, uh, who would maybe take my place, or you know what we kind of got in 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 line for that. So, uh, like I said, there's still some work to do, but we're getting there. I, I do believe we're getting there. But All right, guys. I just want to say thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you coming and giving me your personal experiences. I know you got a lot to do, so it means a lot to me and the Airmen of the Wing that you guys would take the time to share all of this with us. I do want to close with a quote from Maya Angelou that actually came from our um, Undersecretary of Defense, Mr. Gilbert Cisneros. So... History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be enlived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. She said exactly what you said. You know, we have to acknowledge what's happened in the past, but that doesn't mean we can't change the future. I think one of the best things for us to do is what we're striving to do right now, is to bring awareness, learn to talk about it, make it a normal part of our conversations. If there's something that's going on, or if something needs to be addressed, just say it. I know we have a long way to go, and I really hope you know mindsets like yours can improve on what we have started already. So, well, thank you guys for coming. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Jessica. We are Mission Ready Airmen, providing premier training to the C-130 and cyber enterprises, capitalizing on partnerships to support the state and defend the nation. Our vision is to be a diverse family of airmen, dedicated, adaptive, and empowered to lead.